0: So hear the word of the Lord this morning from the book of Proverbs, in preparation for uh, the sermon this morning. Uh, Proverbs six, six through eight reads, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, and gathers her food in the harvest. Proverbs nineteen fifteen. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Proverbs 20.13 Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. Proverbs 22.13 reads, The sluggard says, There's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Proverbs 24.30-34 30 through 34 reads, I passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. And last, Proverbs 26:14 through 15. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and wears him out to bring it back to his mouth.
1: Good morning. Um, today we're going to continue our study in the book of Proverbs. Uh, as you can see on the bulletin board and on our Facebook and all around, that we've been doing this for the past several weeks. Specific teachings, uh, the wisdom statements from Solomon uh, that have been provided to us. Uh, a title has been God's Wisdom for Gospel Living. That's what we're trying to do. These wise sayings help us humbly live a life of uh, being on mission that declares and demonstrates the gospel in our community. Last week, Pastor Elder Bill Blake brought us a um, topic, a uh, sermon on the topic of money. And King Solomon offered us many ways to consider how we should properly use and, and utilize that and handle that uh, thing that we need to do here on earth, that, the subject of money. Today, I've got a fun topic. I'll be teaching on the sluggard or the sin of sloth. Uh, sloth is one of the named seven deadly sins. A few years back, we did a sermon series on the seven deadly sins, and that was one of those. Uh, In biblical terms, swath is the biblical term for what our society calls today a slacker or a couch potato. In fact, you might recognize this guy. In fact, you may have been that guy. (laughs) Um, We know who that guy is. Uh, I have been that guy once, uh, maybe last weekend. So, work is the cure for the sluggard, and we hope that that's true. Where there is a cure, there is hope. The topic of sloth can create a situation whereby we compare ourselves to other people, and that's a dangerous situation. The book of Proverbs provides us some some very good points and characteristics to diagnose sloth in ourselves. But just remember, when you point your finger at somebody else, you have three fingers pointing back at you. And that's something to remember when we try to elevate our position at the expense of someone else. So today, going a little jumpy, here we go. I have three points. Uh, shockingly, they all start with R. That is on purpose, by the way. Uh, we do try to be helpful and give a nice memorable outline so that you can take that with you when you leave today. So one, we're going to review the sluggard. Two, we're going to see the results of being a sluggard. And three, we're going to explore the right perspective for productivity, otherwise known as work. This is something we all know about, not all of us enjoy, but we're going to take a look at that. So let's take a look at the sluggard, that guy. Before I go there, I'm going to use the word he or that guy a lot, the sluggard is an equal opportunity employer. <laughs> Ladies, you do not need to go to sleep because you're involved, but I will be using the word he frequently. Just, let's, just get, let's just get that out of the way. Most of us probably have a very real person in mind when we think of that guy we saw before. Um, most of you are saying, some of you might be saying, yep, that's me. Um, so let's just get it out there. The sluggard is lazy. The most referenced uh, proverb for the sluggard is Proverbs 26, 14 through 15. So as the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Verse 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. There you go. So, King Solomon, you know, also had statements about how things never quite change. You know, we get tired, we are lazy, and when you look at that picture, you say, wow, seriously, that lazy? Um, Yes. Getting the Rice Krispies all the way to your mouth should not really be considered a workout. (laughs) Some older, wiser guys, Ben Franklin once said... Sloth makes all things difficult, but industry all easy. And he that riseth late must trot all day. There's a good word. And shall scarce overtake his business at night, while laziness travels so slowly that poverty soon overtakes him. So old Ben was saying two things in that statement. One, being lazy makes life hard, and good effort makes easy. Two, if we sleep in, Going back to that slucker, turning on his bed, then we have to run like crazy all day to catch up, and we never really do. The pattern of laziness is what leads us to poverty. It's, it's the pattern. So in Proverbs 26, going back to the other verse, King Solomon is really using a rather extreme situation to la- of laziness to point out that we just don't finish what we start. We have good intentions, we get the stuff out, we never quite get there. We get the cereal down from the shelf. We put the bowl on the on the table, put the milk in it, and then we quite can't get the spoon all the way to our face. And this is just the failure to finish. So let me throw out a few more examples. Have you ever seen a lawn half mode? Have you ever seen Christmas lights on a house in June? How about a car with salt stains in May? <laughs> this is the conditions of the sluggard. Good intentions. Walked by those Christmas lights for the past three months. I'm, this, this weekend, definitely. But just quite lacks the energy to get out there with the ladder and actually do it. So, not surprisingly, the sluggard is also a procrastinator. Can I get a me too from all the pro- pro- procrastinators in the crowd? Go ahead. The, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, do it later. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Just as you know, just as you so you know, procrastination is the gateway drug to sluggardville. The motto of any good sluggard, never start today, which you can put off till tomorrow. <laughs> you can almost hear the snoring. You know, it's, it's just, yeah, you know, sure, I, yeah, tomorrow. Famous author Julia Cameron once said, procrastination is not laziness. I tell him it's fear. Call it by its right name. That puts a little bit different spin on it. The sluggard also looks for the easy path. So when he does get to work, he's looking for the easy way, the path of least resistance. If he can press a button and get it done, that's, that's the way for him. So uh, this group of procrastinators apparently is a large group, and they have a club, and each club has to have a creed. So I'd like to go over a few of those points right now, because it's rather telling. The procrastinator's creed, number one, I believe that if anything is worth doing, it should have been done already. (laughs) Two, I shall never move quickly except to avoid more work or find a better excuse. I will never rush into a job without a lifetime of consideration. I firmly believe that tomorrow holds the possibility for new technologies, astounding discoveries, and a reprieve from my obligations. I truly believe that all deadlines are unreasonable regardless of the amount of time given. I shall never forget that the probability of a miracle, though infinitesimally small, is not exactly zero. <laughs> if I, you'll, you'll get that one on the way home. If at first I don't succeed, there's always next year. I shall decide not to decide unless, of course, I decide to change my mind. I know that the work cycle is not plan, start, finish, but wait, plan, plan. I'll never put off tomorrow what I can forget about forever. Yeah, those, that really, oh, by the way, in the small print in the Procrastinators Club, if you fill out the application and send it in, you're automatically denied. King Solomon writes in Proverbs 22:13, the sluggard says there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Now back in the day, there was lions in Israel. They, they were around. But the sluggard is claiming that his life is imminently in danger right outside his house if he heads out to work on Monday morning. Um, that's a lame excuse. It was lame then, it's lame today, and most bosses would be like, yeah, get to work. Proverbs twelve twenty seven says, Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. Yet another example. This one speaks to me. As you all know, I like to get outside and find game. The writer is saying that 90% effort just doesn't make the grade. This lazy hunter got up probably early in the morning, made his way out to the field, had success success and gathered his prey, but then suddenly was too tired to actually cook it and eat it. King Solomon is just raising his shoulders like, what, 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 why, why do all that effort and then fail to finish? He's saying, are you kidding me? Uh, You've just worked hard to acquire your game, you've had success, now you won't even cook it. Sloth is the failure to finish. It'd be like watching the Olympics and some guy goes 90 meters of the 100-meter race and then just stops. Not injured, no, just, I, I was tired, I quit it just leaves you hanging like, why? Why? The sluggard chooses the easy path, the path of least resistance. The sluggard has two main tools in his toolbox. One, number one tool, is his bed. (laughs) Tool number two is the couch. (laughs) And I bet if you look hard enough, there's a TV in there too. Proverbs 19, 15. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. P- reading on, Proverbs twenty thirteen, Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. These two verses really get to the heart of the person who's slothful or lazy. It's apathetic laziness. It's just not, I'm tired. It's that I don't care. The Spirit just doesn't care and would rather do nothing. So, when I was in college, it ends up being a good topic for this little story uh, because we have kids going to college. Uh, I have two nieces who just arrived at college yesterday. When I was in college as a freshman many moons ago, and an English professor uh, offered us some pointers on time management. As you know, teenagers are not widely known for this concept. Thank you. She advised us to make the best use of our time daily. She referenced Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five, fourteen to sixteen. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse fifteen. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. In the version uh, that she read, it said redeeming the time. What we shape what she was saying to us is You've just gotten to college and now you're the king of your own schedule. At least that's what we thought. Don't waste your time sleeping in, missing classes, not doing your work. Get up, redeem the time, and make the most of those classes that your parents are paying for. You know, she said now that you're in charge of yourself, don't mess it up by being lazy. Don't mess it up by hoping to do it tomorrow. Don't mess it up by turning stuff in late get after it, get busy, redeem the time, make it worthwhile. That's something that I never forgot. I've used that a lot. So thank you, professor from English in college. So let's back up and rewind. What have we found out about the sluggard? Number one, he's lazy. Number two, he loves to procrastinate. And three, he takes the easy path. Whenever there's an easy way to do it, that's, that's where I'm going. So let's move on to the results of being a sluggard. What happens when we live this way? What are the life results from being a sluggard? How much trouble can we actually get into? If we just be the couch potato, how bad could that be? Will our laziness create problems and pressure on our life? So before we put that sluggard under the microscope and really figure out what's happening here, as our sermon title said today, work can be the cure for the sluggard. But like all concepts, sometimes we take a concept and run with it to the extreme. And that extreme can turn into addiction. Our work can become an idol and we can create a false identity in it. With that said, the workaholic is not the perfect non-sluggard. In fact, the workaholic is a sluggard. Now, I know what you're saying. What? How can that possibly be? This person works like crazy, puts in tons of hours. How could this person possibly be a sluggard? Let's take a look. By definition, a sluggard lacks self-discipline, and he avoids work. Workaholics are so focused on one thing Usually, their breadwinning job. They're so focused on this one thing that they forget their family, they ignore their faith, and their other very important responsibilities. They use work as a shield to block these things and to procrastinate from them and drop their other responsibilities. This is sluggardly behavior. So, if, you're f- if your focus on your work defines you, then, then that's a false identity. We've, we've put our our self in something that we shouldn't be. We should desire to identify with Christ and live more like him and identify in him instead of bur- burying our issues in our, in our work and then calling that productivity. So let's take a look and broaden that out a little bit. The situation can even affect pastors, global partners, ministry leaders, and others involved in ministry. This work is very important, but if it consumes us, if it takes our sole focus, others suffer along the way. Balance requires discipline and control. Uh, these are acquired traits. These are things that we learn. Uh, these are traits that the sluggard can put into his life through training, effort. With that understood, let's take a look at the results of being a sluggard. There it is. Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows, follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So King Solomon tells us many times that sloth will drive us into poverty, and that's a problem. It's the worthless pursuits that, that I want to look at here. These are the things that we do to waste time when there's real work to be done. This is like the busy things, the, the stuff that we use to kind of take up the time so that we don't have to do that work. We find creative ways to stay busy. You ever, you ever have one of those guys or girls at work that's just go, 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 busy, 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 but at the end of the day, like <laughs> nothing got done? It looks busy. There's lots of flash. There's lots of, lots of noise, but the actual you know, focus of what was supposed to be done never quite got done. In Thessalonians three ten, Paul warns If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Sounds cruel, but it's also very necessary. Um, Our own country was founded on this principle when the first settlers came to Virginia at the uh, settlement in Jamestown. Um, This is the rule that was instituted. Captain John Smith said to the settlers, If you don't work in the fields to create food, then you will re- not. Then you will not receive a share at harvest time. He made, a clear, he made it clear that anyone sitting at home and showing up at harvest time would not receive any food. While that sounds harsh, it was really the only way, the only thing that they had, to create a to, to create a society in the wilderness. It was absolutely necessary that everybody had to do to do work. So where did John Smith get his wisdom from? what we're studying today, God's word. Proverbs also goes on to describe the results of the slothful in more detail. In Proverbs 24, as Chris read earlier, this is a story about the farmer. I passed by a field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction: a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So King Solomon was you know walking through the country one day and saw this little farm and stopped to ponder it, and noticed that the farm was definitely in disrepair, and he wondered why this would happen. Then he got to see the farmer and what he was doing. This little farmer, he liked to sleep in. He liked to take naps during the day. And he liked to fold hands and finish before the work was actually done. Do you know any successful farmers that sleep in? <laughs> no, ne- neither do I. Uh, successful farmers do more each day before you have breakfast. And we all know that. That's, that's, that is the definition of a farmer. In fact, a farmer would be the polar opposite of a sluggard. Gets up early, works till sundown. He's not in a rush, but he works all day long. He just go, go, go until he runs out of gas or daylight, whichever comes first. So lastly, the result of a sluggard is just a hard life. Proverbs twelve twenty four: the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. What Solomon is saying is if you don't get to work, and get to it daily, then you're going to lose your freedom. You'll go to work. you go to work for somebody else and probably doing stuff you don't want to do. Our world has been designed this way. We are, the ball has to put, be pushed forward. Our world was designed by God, and he knew the value of work and effort. But the sluggard sees work as a necessary evil, a force to be avoided, and his perspective is all wrong. The sluggard's valuation of rest over work, is really a sinful thought and process. And his issue will cause 90% of the problems in his life. I'd like to take a look at a few other associated issues uh, with the sluggard. He has a couple of little nagging concepts. The sluggard is self-seeking, or self-centered, or selfish, however you want to put that. He thinks mainly of himself. The Proverbs offers many examples of how the righteous man values generosity and concern for others. The sluggard doesn't roll this way. He will not sacrifice himself. He will not put out. He will not put himself at discomfort to the assistance of someone else. The sluggard is also a pleasure seeker. He's always looking for good food and, and uh, good time. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-five says, the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. He's a freeloader. It's a beachcomber. He's just a happy guy, moving through life, looking for free food and fun. We've all seen the movies about that happy guy, kind of just the life of the party. Maybe the surfer dude that lives out of the van because the waves are so good, you know. I just can't go to work, I'd miss a wave. You know, they're happy people, but, you know, th- that, those things have consequences. Or maybe the starving artist that paints or molds all day long because the art is all in their head. Many times, this is the sluggard's heart working its way out. The surfing and the painting is just a way to avoid the real work that has to be done, the the real life issues that need to be addressed. All the searching done by surfing and painting will lead back to the fact that real work actually has to be done. But with that said, just in case there's any surfers or artists in in, in the congregation today, some actually apply work and achieve a point where people will pay to watch them surf or pay to put their art on their walls at home. Was it the dreaming or was it the work? I would say it's the work. These dreamers put work to their practice, acquired a skill to which they monetized, and and they were able to turn that into a value-added job. So it wasn't the dreaming, it was the work. Lastly, the sluggard is also short-sighted. This guy lives in the now. What's on the menu today, tomorrow? What, is it, what day is it anyway? The slothful person does not consider himself with the coming season or winter or any future things uh, because if he did, this would require planning. The sluggard avoids these horrible thoughts at all costs. As Chris read about the ant in Proverbs Chapter 6 Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having a chief or an officer or a ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So King Solomon is asking the slothful person to, to look at the ant. You know, that little tiny creature with a brain about the size of a pinpoint. The simple creature knows that life is hard and that winter is coming. A little internal clock goes off in your head like. Got to go to work. It's going to be cold in December. This little ant does not have a boss or a ruler or a taskmaster, but she gets to work each and every day and gets ready. We can also see this example in country living. You're saying, oh, this, where's this going? Families that heat their homes with wood head out into the forest to cut down trees in the spring. They have an internal clock in their head saying, winter is coming and my and my wood pile is short. i got to get out there, or I'm going to have major problems in January. Next year, they're thinking ahead. The sluggard can't even conceptualize this. He has no concern about next year. He is crossing his fingers and hoping for a warm, short upstate New York winter. <laughs> As you all know from last winter, uh, that's a bad bet. Brings me to my last point today. Right, the right perspective for productivity, otherwise known as work. We've defined the sluggard and discussed his characteristics. We've also discovered the problems and the issues that have been created in his life because of his slothful existence. We also have to deal with his human frailties, and God provides an answer and a path to, that, to better living. So my sermon title, going back to that work, the cure for the sluggard. Our society today really does see work as a necessary evil. Um, a lot of the blogs and whatnot, capitalism and and you know big corporations don't have a great reputation in, in our larger society as a whole, and that comes from a perspective on work, perspective on money, both of which we've been talking about the past two weeks. Is work truly evil? Was it a result of the fall in the Garden of Eden? Actually, the opposite is true. God dug his hands into the dirt and made Adam. God worked six days in a row and created the universe. And on on the last day, he rested. From what? From work. God is showing us by his example that work is a good and valuable pursuit And that he's doing it, so should we. So where does our bad mental perspective of work come from? The ancients, going all the way back to the Greeks, thought that work came out of Pandora's box with all the other nasty things of the world, the vices that jumped out of there. Work was one of those things that got away. Um, The Greeks also despised menial labor and those that had to do it. The Mesopotamian culture believed that their gods created the world but the world was a wild and unruly place, and that all that work there was beneath them. So they created man to be the worker bees to manage the world, and man was created to, uh, to do work and to keep and maintain the earth that they had created. So again, this philosophy created a society that despised work. They, they uh, had slaves, forced other people to do the work that they did not want to do because their perspective was, was wrong. So in modern cultures, our societies uh, also have odd concepts of work. Uh, Some societies rank their society on what work you do. The Indian culture and their caste system uh, elevates people in certain jobs and de-elevates certain people in certain jobs. And then you don't associate very much between those elevations. In Proverbs 10.4, lazy hands... Make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Diligence is the purposeful, strategic application of our work effort. When reading through Proverbs, you'll see a lot of statements about diligence. Being concerted, doing the right thing, doing it purposefully, not by accident, but on purpose. A favorite verse of mine is Proverbs 22:29. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. This verse brings to me hope and expectation of the future. When we're working faithfully and diligently in a job that's going nowhere today, this verse brings hope. King Solomon is saying that if we strive and we build our skills, then someday a significant person, someone that is not obscure, will recognize us for our efforts and will be honored for those efforts. I think we've all had that one bad job that devoured our soul without reward, without praise, without thanks, and we were just sent home at the end of the day. Well, this verse should give us hope. Someone is going to recognize that effort someday. As an athlete, I see this verse as an incentive to do work on a specific skills that I have. Or when an athlete or an artist displays years of training in a single performance, it can be awe-inspiring. You've seen the YouTube videos of somebody playing the guitar or a drum solo that has one hand or, or shooting a bow and arrow with their feet. You know, th- something that took years and years of practice makes you drop your jaw and go, how did they ever do that? Well, it wasn't they just picked it up and did it one day. It took years and years and years of, ex- of, of, of effort and, and learning and when you see that, there's an appreciation that comes out of that. And the concept of obscure people, uh, the important people like judges, coaches, scouts, teachers, they value the skills that we've made in ourselves, that we've, that we've honed over the years, and they are in the position to say, very good, well done, because they, they know about those things. So this is something that we look for in our life to have value to the work that, w- that we're doing. This is all to say that work is a gift from God, and it's something that we should view as positive. 1 Corinthians 10:31 reads, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Now, this is a very familiar verse. We've heard this. We, we, we apply it a lot. But we need to apply it across our entire life. Some of us work here five, six days a week. Some of us work 35, 40, 50, maybe more hours per week. We spend a lot of our adult life at work, and our job is just a part of our workload. For those of us that have families and homes, we know about the other work that we have to do. We, we put in our 40 hours or 50 hours, putting a paycheck in our pocket, but then we have the other work we have to do. So there's a lot of work that has to be done. God certainly gave us a task- oriented world. And our work should be a way to express our thankfulness to him in what we do and how we do it. Bev and I often, when we pray after dinner, thank the Lord for the fact that we both have jobs, that we're both satisfied in our work, and that he has made a way for us to do what we do because of our work. There's one more facet to the work solution to sloth that I like to explore, and that is the responsibility that we have to each other. To not be lazy. Proverbs 10:5: He who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. Ouch. King Solomon is making the point that our failure in our work life fails all of us. You're not just failing yourself, you're failing your community, your business, your family. And that's because sin never affects just you. Almost all sin that we commit hurts those around us. Sloth is a sin that definitely hurts other people. King Solomon says that being lazy during the harvest is, dis- is disgraceful. This is much more than a guilt trip. Shame and disgrace point out a failure to the community. Disgrace is what we feel when we've let other people down. The sluggard will feel grace, well, sorry, the sluggard will feel disgrace, and this is God's way through community to correct his actions. We're, we're all connected, and, and when we do things that let other people down, it's the feeling that we have between each other that drives us to do something different. God has designed us to be in community so that we can be there to help each other and spur each other on to more a purposeful, abundant life. So let me, let me conclude here. Our world is not perfect. In fact, it's broken. I think, I think we know that. When Adam and Eve sinned, the work balance that God had ordained was changed. As a punishment, God told Adam that he would curse the ground and his work would be hard and the ground would produce thorns, thistles, and vines. If you've ever planted a garden and maintained it over the summer and the spring, you know that to be true. Gardening requires sweat and a sore back, muddy knees. There are weeds to be pulled, Bugs to be sprayed, branches to be cut, mulch to be raked, fruit to be collected. Oh, and there's also the sunburn, the bee stings, the slivers, and the rashes. Not to mention dirty hands. Um, work is a very meaningful activity in our life. God gave us work as an honorable pursuit. In Ephesians 4:28, Paul writes, "Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor." doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone. Hmm. So Paul's saying that the results of our work are just not for us. The results of our work bring us things so that we can share with everyone. Work should not be a self-centered activity, in other words. In the light of the gospel and the work that Christ did and shared with us, we too should also do work and share with others, following that example. Our focus should be on Jesus Christ, and then our other problems balancing our lives will be be able to handle that correctly. While God did curse the ground, and our sins separated us from him, we feel the effects today. He has also provided a way to restore a relationship to him. In Galatians 3.13, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. God provided his son as a sacrifice to stop the raging effects of sin in our life. In the fall, in the Garden of Eden, God said thorns were a curse to the ground. Got the right verse there? Nope, I gotta go one more. Yep, no, that's it. The way of the sluggard is blocked by thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Our life without Christ is blocked by thorns. This is a clear indication that that Christ came to save us. The, The clear indication that Christ came to save us is shown in the fact that He took on Him a crown of thorns, on His head, which symbolizes our sin and this broken world. Jesus Himself became the curse and took the crown of thorns to represent our sin, and he took them to the cross. Jesus declared victory over sin, death, and hell with that action. He gave us a way to be restored to the Father and once again have a, a right relationship with him. This is the message of the gospel, and it should fill us with hope, while the broken world around us does not. God is paved over the thorns and through his son's sacrifice We only need to accept that fact and believe in him to be restored to a full relationship with the Father. So I I would like to pray at this time and just give us a moment to reflect on work as our purposeful activity, our, our work as an act of worship as we go back to work on Monday, that it's something that he gave us to do. It's not something that we have to deal with but it's something that we should find pleasure in. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray to you today and we thank you for what you've done for us. We're thankful, we are thankful that you created this world. We're thankful that you, are, that you put us in it and that you've given us work and life pursuits and skills to, um, to glorify you in the activities that we do, whether it's selling cars, whether it's teaching, whether it's raising children, whether it's being a pastor, we thank you for the work that you've given us to do. And we thank you that you have given us purpose and value in that work. And we pray, Lord, that we would make it our purpose to glorify you and honor you in what we do and what we say and that we would do that in community where you've put us. In your name, amen.